Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Acts chapter 12. You may turn there in your Bibles at this time. It is also printed in our worship folder for tonight. Acts chapter 12. We'll be reading just the first 19 verses of this chapter. <clears throat> Acts 12, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out <clears throat> and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are very quickly uh, nearing the end of our study of this first half of the book of Acts. I suspect we'll probably have only one more uh, sermon in this series. We've been looking at the history of the New Testament church. And we've looked at various facets of that church. We have talked about New Testament preaching. 
preaching that focuses on and glorifies Jesus Christ. We have talked about the structure of the New Testament church. The apostles doing the teaching, the deacons serving the congregation. And we have talked about the advancement of the church. How the church began in Jerusalem and then later spread to Judea and Samaria and finally, amazingly, even on the Gentiles, the Spirit of God would fall. Tonight we look at another story, another picture into the life of the New Testament church. And, and in some ways, this story in Scripture is somewhat extra. What I mean by that is this. Uh, there's definitely a timeline that runs through the book of Acts. But this story is not is not linked anywhere particularly on that timeline. It begins, chapter 12, about that time these things took place. And in fact, as one commentator pointed out, if this story were missing, we would lose nothing in the advancement of the timeline of the church throughout the book of Acts. But it's an important story for us. For it gives us a picture of the New Testament church at prayer. And as such, it helps us as a church. It helps us as individuals in our own prayer life. How are we obedient to God? How are we obedient to His Word when we come to Him in prayer? And the wonderful reminder that we see miraculously God does answer the prayers of His people. He answered it back then, and He continues to answer prayers today. We see that in the case of Peter, God chose to answer the prayers of the people by very extraordinary means. Again, the beginning of chapter 12, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Herod began to persecute the church. Verse 3, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Herod sees that his persecution of the church curries favor with the Jewish people and continues to the point where he arrests Peter. Now we read that this took place during the days of unleavened bread. That was that seven-day celebration leading up to Passover. Well, during those seven days of unleavened bread, uh, there would be no uh, trial business that was done. So Peter is arrested and he is put in prison, awaiting his trial. Awaiting his trial at the end of these seven days and after Passover, although knowing the verdict already. Pilate would, or Herod would continue to curry the favor of the Jewish people. Peter was waiting there under a death sentence. We read that he, he seized him, put him in prison, delivered him up to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Four squads of soldiers. These squads were of four men each. Sixteen guards guarding Peter. Uh, he's chained to two of them. One on his right, one on his left. There are various levels of security between Peter and the outside world. We would say... Peter is put in maximum security prison. He is as securely guarded as anyone can be. 
But we see in verse 5 the heart of this chapter. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Yes, Peter is in prison. Yes, he is chained. Yes, there are guards all around him and locked gates. But earnest prayer is made for him by the church. And we see how wonderfully, how miraculously, God answers the prayers of his people. Go to verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. He wakes him up. The chains fall off. They begin to go through the gates. They go past the guards. They go past all of them. And finally, Peter is brought into the city. He has been delivered from an absolutely impossible situation. No one gets out of maximum security. But God takes this impossible situation and turns it into Peter's freedom. Same God who heard the prayers of his people in the New Testament hears our, our prayers today. He is able to take us from those impossible situations. The, the, the problem I find in my own prayer life is that I tend to make God too small. I tend to create a God in my image, one who is not able to do everything, one who cannot do the impossible. We're so quick to put limits on God in our prayers, perhaps afraid to pray for certain things. But our God is not limited. He's not limited by chains. He's not limited by guards. He's not limited by what we can imagine he might do. Sometimes I'll say to myself, I can't imagine how God is going to answer this prayer. He is not limited by my imagination. He is the God who is able to do that which is impossible. And we remember that. Because we look at what he has already done for us. What he has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. We are those who were in a fallen, sinful condition. Dead in transgressions and sins. And Jesus Christ comes and he does that which is impossible. He takes the dead and brings them to life. He has done that. He has done absolutely everything necessary to accomplish our salvation. Our whole redemption found in his finished work. And he continues to do that work today. He continues to bring in fallen men and women, boys and girls. That's the call of the gospel tonight. If you do not know this Jesus Christ, if you find yourself in an impossible position, dead in transgressions, turn to him he is not limited by what we can imagine. He can do far more than we can ask or imagine. He is able to bring in fallen people. He is able to restore those who are currently living in disobedience to him. Able to overcome all 
of our sin. No, our God is not limited by what we can imagine. He is able to use any means, even extraordinary means, to accomplish his purposes. We see in this story that while it is an amazing event, there is a sense in which Peter is very personally involved in what God is doing. I'm, I'm always surprised by this, that the next day we read in verse, verse 6, now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping. He's been in prison for a number of days. He knows that tomorrow he will go to his trial. He knows the outcome of that trial, that he will lose his life. And what is he doing the night before? Sleeping. Resting in the Lord. Resting confidently. Knowing that whatever takes place the next day, he can rest and he can trust in God. We read earlier from Psalm chapter 4. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you make me dwell in safety. Whatever happens, our God is in control. Reminds us of when Paul and Silas are in prison. What are they doing there? They're singing praises to God. They can rest confident God is working his purposes out. I said Peter is, is uh, intimately revolved, involved in his own release. We read uh, that the angel comes and he speaks to Peter and says, Get up quickly. And the chains fall off his hands. The angel says to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. He said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. The angel calls Peter to, to do exactly what he says. God, through the angel, involves Peter in the answer to the people's prayers. They were praying for Peter. And God, through the angel, involves Peter in the answer to the prayers. Now that doesn't give Peter any reason to glory in himself. In fact, in verse 17, he will say to them, he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He doesn't say, look what I did, I got up and I walked. The Lord brought him out. Now surely, kids, a God who is able to send an angel, a God who is able to have the chains fall off, a God who is able to have him walk past guards, a God who is able to open all the doors, is certainly a God who would have been able to just transport Peter out. That would not have been too much for God. God certainly could have done that. But he chooses to answer the prayers of the people through the use of means. Through the use of Peter's obedient response to the instruction of the angel. He does exactly what he is told. And that's, that's instructive for us as well. In our own prayers, there are times when our own prayers will involve our obedience to see the answer to that prayer. There's an old Latin uh, theological phrase in the churches, the old phrase, ora et labora. It means, 
prayer and work. Prayer and work. Perhaps. Perhaps you are praying for a friend. You are praying for a co-worker. That they might come to a saving knowledge of God. That is a wonderful prayer. That's a God-honoring prayer. But we have to ask ourselves, have I ever talked with him about Jesus? There are so many times God uses means. He includes us, our obedience, in the answer to the prayer. Perhaps, perhaps you are praying that you would have a closer walk with God. A good prayer, a God-honoring prayer. When we pray that prayer, we also have to be responsible and spend time daily hearing God speak to us in His Holy Word, spending time speaking to Him in prayer. We come to the means of grace, the means God uses to encourage and strengthen our faith. God uses means to accomplish His purposes. Perhaps we are in difficult relationships. Perhaps we're in a difficult relationship in our marriage. And it's very easy for us if we're having trouble with our spouse, it's so easy for us to pray that God would change them. But husbands, if you are not being that godly head of your home, if you are not showing Christ-like leadership to your wife, self-sacrificing love, then don't first of all pray that God change her. Pray that God would change your heart and your actions. God uses means to answer the prayers for that relationship. Wives, if you don't feel that your husband respects you, that he honors you, don't first of all pray that he might change. If you find yourself undercutting him, if you find yourself not showing proper, godly, biblical submission, don't first of all pray that God change him, but pray that God change you. God uses means to answer our prayers. Again, children, if you're having a difficult time with your parents, ask yourself, am I honoring them with my words? Am I honoring them with my actions? God help me to be more obedient. As he included Peter in the answer, so often he includes us and calls us to obedience. Now, our obedience certainly does not force the hand of God, does not lessen His provision for us. It is simply that, an obedient response. It is faithful living to God's call. And He then answers those prayers as He sees fit. The last section of this story is the section that I find the most humorous in the story. Picking up our reading, uh, verse 12, uh, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where they were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. This is what's happening, kids. They're in a prayer meeting. They're praying for Peter to get out of jail. They hear a knock on the door. They send Rhoda. 
She hears it's Peter, goes back and says, Peter's at the door. What's their response? You are out of your mind. It couldn't be Peter. Peter's in prison. We're praying for him there. How is it possible he could be at the door now? And yet, we read in verse 16, Peter continues knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed. They were amazed. God had answered their prayers. And again, I, I, I find that in my own prayer life. When God does see fit to answer prayers immediately, almost, almost before the words are on my tongue, my first response is, it just can't be. Or perhaps even worse, oh, what a coincidence that is. I was just praying about that. We should have a godly expectation that God will answer our prayers. We should pray with confidence when we come to God. I love how our Heidelberg Catechism, at the end of its treatment of the Lord's Prayer, says this, it is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. Question answer 129. It is even more sure that God listens than that I really desire what I pray for. There's a story, perhaps apocryphal, but a story about the 19th century evangelist Charles Finney. There was a, a drought in a certain part of the country, and they called Charles Finney and said, would you come and lead a prayer meeting for us? We need to pray for rain. We have to have the crops revived. There's a drought. Charles Finney, would you come and lead a prayer meeting for rain? And Finney says, yes, of course he would come. So Finney shows up at the prayer meeting carrying an umbrella. He looks around and says, where are yours? We're going to pray for rain, right? Don't we believe God is going to hear? Don't believe we believe God's going to answer? Where's your umbrella? Now I know, I know, but we can take that to an extreme. But there certainly is a kernel of truth there. Do we really believe that God will hear and that God will? will answer us. We need, to, we need to expect positive answers to our prayers. Now, lest you think I've uh, fallen off the wagon into name it and claim it theology, while we should expect positive answers, we also must respect negative answers. There are times when God says no. And then it is time for us to pray for a submissive heart. This chapter begins. Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James with a sword. We have no reason to believe that the people were not praying for James as well. And yet he was killed with a sword. Sometimes God says no. Those are hard answers to accept from him. And so then we pray that God would give us a humble 
submission to his perfect will. I can't help but think that may be the case this upcoming week. I know that many of you, along with me, have been praying for this election season. We have been praying that God would be merciful. We've been praying for various candidates. And, and this week we will have an election. We have other brothers and sisters in the Lord who have been praying just like we have, but perhaps for different candidates. God's going to answer one of our prayers. Either we will, we will praise Him that He has answered as we have seen fit, or we will ask Him for submission that He has answered how He has seen fit. It's hard. It's difficult. But we pray that that whatever answer God uh, gives, we would receive that as that which brings the most glory to Him. That must be the heart of our prayers. Not which makes me the most comfortable. Not which satisfies me. But Lord, what gives you the most glory? What brings you the most praise? And what will you use to bring that glory to yourself? We continually confess God's perfection, we confess his perfect plan working out in the world. And we ask that God help us to be submissive. Peter was in prison. Earnest prayer was being made for him. Are we characterized as those who are earnest in our prayers? Earnest in our prayers to God combined with an obedience to his revealed will. When we pray, are we confidently expecting God to answer, looking for his hand to grant what we ask? And are we respecting when that answer to our prayers is no? Humbly submitting in all things to his perfect will. The God who answers prayers is the God who knows what is best, whether we see it or not, and the God that will work out his will and bring most glory to himself. We have every confidence when we pray that God hears us. He hears us and he answers in the best way possible. Let us join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you, we praise you, that as we lift our voices and our hearts to you, you do hear from heaven and you do answer. And when you answer affirmatively, Lord God, we are so thankful to you for your goodness. And we praise you for that. When your answer, O oh God, is no, help us to submit ourselves to you and to your perfect will. Lord God, you always do what is best. Whether we think that or not, you always do what is best to bring yourself the most glory. May we joy in that, that we can turn to you in prayer, knowing that you will hear and knowing that you will answer in the best way possible. Hear us, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen.